Bible. Good morning. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll dive into our study this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for another day. We thank you for the rain outside, and Lord, just the blessing that is that you send uh, rain showers that can uh, just help the, the plants and things that we need to survive to, to grow, and uh, we just thank you for your mercies in that. We just pray for our day today, for our class up here, classes downstairs with kids and youth, that you would bless those, um, just help your word to go forth and to do the work that you see fit in each heart and life. And we pray for our service in just a little while, that you would uh, help us to worship you today, to, to honor you, uh, to hear from your word, and to seek to live it out by your power. And God, for our uh, youth group and kids club tonight, that you would bless that and allow the gospel to be proclaimed. And uh, we pray that you'd go ahead of us and work in the lives of those who will be uh, at youth group and kids club and soften their hearts to uh, hear the gospel, to trust it, to, to obey uh, what your word teaches. So God, we lift the day to you. We pray for our time uh, now as we look to your word that you just give us wisdom and insight and help us truly to marvel at your power, at your um, your design, uh, the order that you've created the universe. And so God, we just pray that you'd help us even now to worship you as we consider uh, your mighty acts of creation. And we'll give you all the praise today and always in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are on to Genesis 1, verses 14 to 19. We've talked about the first three days of creation so far. And on those days, those first three days, God is, you know, going back to verse 2, the earth is without form, shapeless, it's void, uninhabitable. So now the first three days, God is... Uh, shaping, forming, we could say, uh, his created universe. And then here in the next three days, days four through six, he is inhabiting them, filling them. So first three days forming, second set of three days he's filling, okay? So here's the first day of filling, and they correspond to one another where we're going to see, you know, on day one, God had created the light and darkness. Now he's filling that with what we're going to see this morning, okay? So they correspond um, day one with day four, day two with day five, day, day three with day six, as we'll see, okay? So let's read Genesis 1, 14 and 19, and then we'll dive into these verses together. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So here we come to the completion and the beginning and completion of day four. Uh, I'll note. First of all, there's a difference between, we see here, uh, God said, let there be lights, plural. It could be light bearers. Uh, so this is different from on day three, or day one, verse three, where God said, let there be light, singular. So there's a difference, there's a distinction between he's already created light, he's already separated light from darkness, now he's creating that which will hold that light, bear that light, okay? The sun, the moon, the stars, as we see here, okay? Okay. Um, so what purposes are given in these verses for why God created these lights or these light givers? What are the purposes we see? 
you actually see it before the creation of the lights. I'm going to do this for this reason. And then once he's created them, they, they fulfill that purpose. So what are the purposes that we see? Right. For signs and for seasons. Yep. Okay, yeah, you think about even just light is necessary for plant life. Yep, and that light was really in place because the, the plants were created on day three. So I think those lights are already functioning, but now these light bears are going to be the source of that light. Yep. What else do you see in the verse? Signs for in seasons. Okay. Okay, separate day from night uh, for days and years and just simply to give light to the earth. Okay, so you see all these purposes, then God creates them. And then you see that they're fulfilling those purposes as well, okay? So the first one we talked about was uh, the separation of day and night. This was already, had already taken place, right? We talked about on day one, God creates the light, separates the light from the darkness. Uh, there's the mention of day one, which in order for there to be a day, there has to be a singular light source, and there has to be a rotating earth, right? So these, are, these things are already in place. Now the sun takes the position of where that light source is shining, okay? So it fills that void, and their separation of light and day uh, continued, but now the sun is that source of light. The earth's still rotating, okay? We talked about, uh, and you see here in the verses, it's for signs and for seasons, okay? Um, That Hebrew word for signs, we could translate as signals or beacons, okay? Um, now, there's a lot of people that, you know, today, uh, even, even today, you see people that believe in astrology. Um, what is astrology? Anyone know? Studying the horoscope, the position of stars. You know, you're, uh, you know, I think I'm a Capricorn born in January, and you're, or you're this, uh, you know, they're, they're based on the different constellations and position of the stars, and we can tell you your future. We can tell you what type of person you are based on this. And a lot of them will point to this verse and say, see, the, even the Bible says that the stars are for signs. But I think what we see here, and you don't see that throughout Scripture, this idea of trying to tell our future, tell who we are based on the stars. The, the idea is more of signals or beacons. What do you think that points us to? What do you think that the purpose of, of those signals are when it comes to the stars, the, the sun, the moon? Yeah, directional, I, absolutely. How many countless centuries has that been the main way to navigate at night is using the stars okay there's the north star here's where the sun sets so we know that's in the west or it rises in the east or get our bearings that way right um so stars are very useful in that way for navigating they didn't have gps's like we do today and so um they would navigate through the through the stars and even today you could still do that um so you see this idea of signals or beacons and then um, seasons as well, okay? Um, so the mention of the sun, moon, and stars as markers for seasons demonstrates that the earth was created with a 23 degree, uh, uh, on an axis of 23 degrees, right? So this is what gives us our seasons, and I've got a, a diagram here. It might be hard to read. I thought about bringing a globe and having a light, flashlight or something like that, but I just thought it'd be easier to put on the screen. But... The reason we have seasons today is because the earth's at a 23-degree tilt. It tilts on its axis. And so as it rotates or revolves around the sun, there are different uh, times of year where the sun is hitting you know, more of the southern hemisphere. OK, 
Okay, that'd be summer for them, winter for us. Other times where, you know, it's primarily focused on the northern hemisphere as it's tilted that direction. So that would be summer for us. There's times where, you know, it's where the equator is, is the main uh, central point. And so that's your, your spring and, and uh, autumn, right? So you have your equinoxes, you have your, um, what's the other, uh, I'm drawing a blank now. You have the equinoxes when it's like summer or when it's uh, uh, spring and fall, okay, because it's kind of equal parts. So it's, the weather's very similar northern and southern hemisphere and then you have your i'm trying to think what the word is solstice thank you so winter and summer solstice is where the sun is more on the northern hemisphere hemisphere or southern hemisphere so you can see like uh if you look at the image to your far right where it says winter okay in the northern hemisphere uh notice how the top of the globe where the uh north pole is that's going to remain in the dark as if you think about it revolving, it's going to remain in the dark more often, right? That's why places like Alaska or when I went to Iceland during the winter, it's dark most of the time, you know, all but a few hours. And during the summer, uh, if you look at the other end of the, that uh, diagram, you see it's going to be light more often. So like when I went to Iceland, it was in the summer. And so it was only dark for maybe three hours and it didn't even get that dark because the sun's barely dipping below the horizon. So you see just this idea of seasons, and so really points us to, you know, God, I think, created the earth with this tilt already in place. Now, we talked about if you have a view of a canopy theory where uh, the temperature across the globe is very similar, there still would be seasonal change, right? Even if uh, there's a canopy and it's uh, blocking out a lot of that radiation and the sun coming through, there's still going to be some variation and change, but probably not as, ex- as extreme as today, where we have a summer that's 100 degrees and a winter that's freezing or below freezing, right? So there still would have been a little bit of variation, possibly. But we see God creating the sun, the moon, and the stars, markers for seasons. Um, and so we see kind of this diagram. Any questions about that or thoughts you want to add to that before we move on? All right, hopefully it's clear as mud, all right? So um, also mention not just seasons, but for days and for years, okay? Um, Remind me again, what is an astronomical day? What is a day? Not 24 hours, that's how we break it down, but astronomically, what is a day? Okay, yeah, one revolution of the Earth on its axis. So 24 hours it takes for us to start at one point, and we spend and now we're back in that position in, in respect to where the sun is, right? So one day is one revolution. What is a year, astronomically? It's 365 of those, but there's something else that we use to determine that. Yeah, it goes around one, one uh, rotation around the sun when we get back to the same point we were the prior year, and that's, yeah, 365 days. So you think about it, 360 degrees almost one degree per day that we're moving around the sun. So we, we know this, we see this uh, as a purpose for God creating the sun, the moon, the stars to track days, to track years. We talked about the moon cycle was many, many times used as their monthly calendar. I think it's like a 28-day uh, moon cycle. And so uh, we can tell, we, we base time based on these astronomical things, the earth rotating, revolving around the sun, things like that, okay? 
also mentioned to give light to the earth. Again, this was a previous purpose that now the sun, the moon, and the stars are fulfilling. Okay, um, He gives uh, a greater light during the day and a lesser light during night. We know that, of course, the sun is the source of that light reflected off the moon at night. Um, and so we see these two sources of light, one during the day, one during night. Okay, um, It mentions God made two great lights. And uh, I like this quote from R. Kent Hughes. He said, Moses consciously avoids using their names because they are gods in the Egyptian pantheon. Okay, so he doesn't say God created the sun and the moon because these were the names of Egyptian gods in that day and age. Instead, he just says a greater light to rule the day, lesser light to rule the night. So Moses is saying that the sun, moon, and stars are not gods, but are God's creations, just as we've talked about Throughout this account of Genesis, many times he's pushing back against the, well, there's a view that there's a God of the sea. No, God created the sea. He spoke it into existence. Or there's a God of dry land. No, he, he's clearly pointing to one true God who's creator of all things. Okay, So we know the greater and lesser light refers to the sun and moon. Um, this is another point that evolution would push back or be different from what Scripture says. Um, evolution teaches that the sun came first and then the earth at a later time, okay? But here in Genesis, the Genesis account, earth's created first and then the sun is created days later, okay? So it's worth pointing out that we can't, we can't mesh these two together, okay? Um, let's think about the size of the moon. Moses, and when he says greater light to rule the day, lesser light to rule the night, it could just be referring simply to the brightness of the object, but there could be an element where he's saying the greater, the larger light and the lesser light. Well, there's really no way to know this in Moses' day that the sun was bigger than the moon. In fact, in ancient cultures, they actually thought the moon was bigger than the sun, and they thought it was just further away, which is why it didn't have as much light as the sun. So they thought the sun was smaller and closer and the moon was further away and larger. But, of course, as we study astronomy and things like that we know that's not the case so does anyone know what in comparison to the earth the size of the moon anybody have a guess how big the moon is compared to the earth you got it right right at a quarter 27 percent roughly the size of earth anybody know how far away the moon is this one be more tricky not a million uh 238,000 and roughly 900 miles away, okay? So about a quarter of a million miles away, okay? So um, if light is traveling from the moon to earth, so it's reflected off the sun, uh, or off the moon from the sun, do you know how long that light takes to get from the moon to earth if it's traveling the speed of light? (laughs) A quarter of what? It takes, and, 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 and it, you'll probably know from us walking through this, I really have always loved astronomy and things like this, so that's why it's fun to talk about these things, but 1.3 seconds, okay, from the moon to the earth. So just like that. Anybody know what the speed of light is or what we've determined the speed of light to be? Okay, 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second, that's... Incredible, right? You think about the speed of sound, I think it's 700 and something miles an hour. We can 
observe that if you've ever watched someone playing baseball from far away and they hit, a, hit the metal bat and you see the ball jump off the bat but you don't hear the sound till later or you see some kind of like explosion or whatever and you don't hear the sound till later. But light is so instantaneous, even from the moon, it's 1.3 seconds and it's here, okay, if it's traveling at that rate. The sun is a lot larger than the earth. Does anyone know how much larger the sun is than the earth? So if you could line up earths across the face of the sun, across the diameter of the sun, you could fit 109 earths across the face of the sun, okay? That's just the diameter. Now, if the sun were hollow and you were to stuff it with earths, it would be, it would take a million earths to fill the sun. So just staggering how, uh, how big the sun is. Anyone know how far away the sun is? Okay, we talked about the moon's about a quarter of a million miles. The sun is 93 million miles away, okay? And, and our orbit's not exactly a, a, a circle, so sometimes it's a little closer, a little further away, okay? But roughly 93,000 miles. Anybody know how long it takes light from the sun to get here if it's traveling 186,000 miles per second? You could do the math. But I'll just tell you, it's about eight minutes. So think about that. So, uh, light from the moon traveling 186,000 miles per second takes 1.3 seconds. So it's pretty much here. The sun, if it's traveling at that speed, eight minutes, okay? So some have thought, you know, and, and, and again, this is a lot of, we don't know exactly, I don't want to get into too much depth, but there's a lot of questions about the speed of light in space and in the outer ranges of space. Is it, is it 186,000 miles per second? Is it instantaneous, whatnot? But some people think that, yeah, if the sun burned out, we wouldn't know till eight minutes later, Okay. So just kind of interesting to think about this and think about the magnitude of um, the sun and the moon and their purpose and how far away they are, things like this, okay? Any questions or thoughts about the sun or the moon and God giving those as the two greater lights? Yes? How big is God? I don't think he's, he's infinite, so he's uh, not able to be measured. So there are the bounds of which we measure things, I don't think apply to God. He's outside of time, space, and matter. He's the creator of all. So, yeah, hard to put a uh, number on that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that actually is a good transition. So it, it's fascinating in this verse it talks about, uh, in verse 16, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And then we have this little tack-on phrase, and the stars, just a kind of a throw-off. Oh, yeah, he made those two. And I always love this verse because... You know, in ancient times, we look up at the sky and we see all these stars, and probably even clearer than today because of pollution and because of light and areas kind of blocks that out. But we look up and we see the stars, but as we have advanced in being able to look at those with telescopes, we realize 
how many there are, how far away they are, how large they are. And so it's just funny how it's just, oh yeah, he made those too. But I wanted to show, you guys have probably seen videos like this. Um, this is just a, instead of showing a video, I just wanted to show a couple uh, pictures here that show just the magnitude of some of the stars that God created. And so here you see, and, and there's great videos. Louis Giglio did a video where he talks about this in comparison of different stars and things. Um, and there's other videos you can find. But um, you see here on this first picture, Mercury is that small uh, first planet, okay? I think it's c- close to the same size as our moon. Then you have Venus, or then you have uh, Mars, and then Venus. So Mars is smaller than Earth. Venus is really close to the same size as Earth. And then you have Earth there, okay? So now we back up a little bit. Now Earth is that little blue dot, okay? So in comparison to the... Uh, Planets on the outer bands of our solar system, Earth is very small, okay? Neptune, uh, Uranus, Saturn, Jupiter, uh, you see just how big these are. Jupiter right now, if you, is usually right now, this time of year, one of the first stars, not stars, but first lights you see in the sky, okay? If you look out towards the east, you'll see that really bright first one you see is Jupiter, Okay. Sometimes Venus, Venus is usually the brightest, but it's not, I don't think, in our um, range right now. There's a really cool app if you are interested, if you're a geek like me when it comes to astronomy and want to know what different stars are or planets. There's an app called Skyview Light. You can download it for free. I think there's a paid version that shows you more. But you can hold it up to the sky, and it orients with where you're looking, and it'll tell you what planet that is or what star that is or where that you can even look below uh, the horizon and see, okay, the moon's down there, Venus is down here. Uh, it's really cool, and it'll even show you the path of where they're taking. So um, it's just really neat. Uh, Skyview Light is the name of that if you want to download that. And uh, they didn't pay me to say this because uh, I don't know anybody there, but it's a really cool app, so you can hold it up there and see that. But Jupiter, you can see Saturn many times. Like I said, Venus is one of the brightest when you can see it. Um, you can see Mars, I think, as well. Um, so you can see some of these things uh, just with the naked eye. And then if you get a telescope, you can see them a little bit better. So you see the magnitude there of Jupiter, our largest planet in our solar system. So now let's go a little further. Here is Jupiter is now the small one. And then you have a star called Wolf 359. So I guess this is probably one of the smallest stars that we found. And then you have our sun. So you see the sun compared to Jupiter is still quite large. And now here is Sirius, I think one of the brightest stars uh, that we found, and you can see that many times. So Sirius is a lot bigger than the sun, but we're going to keep going a little further. So now Sirius, that big one, is the small one. See Pollux, and you see these stars getting greater and greater. And we still have two more slides, okay? So now that big star is the small one. See Regal all the way up to Betelgeuse. So Betelgeuse is even bigger. And then you see it progress further. And so... at, I think at this moment, the largest star we found is Canis Majoris. So just think about the magnitude. And I like the, the video versions of these because they help you to see the scale and actually shrink things down and keep progressing. And just when you think, well, nothing could get any bigger, it just keeps getting bigger. And so you see just the magnitude of the stars that God's created, the size of space of the universe. There's a video, I almost showed it, but it keeps backing out and then it even goes further past these stars and shows us our galaxy and then it shows us 
multiple galaxies and it shows us the, no, the known uh, bounds of space and the universe. And it's just incredible to think about God creating this. And, and, and even these stars, it's just, oh yeah, he made the stars too, right? So we see the magnitude of this, okay? All right, any questions before we move on to the next idea here? Any thoughts about these stars? Pretty incredible when we think about them. So let me throw out a little bit of a, a question that people have asked, and we're not going to uh, land on an answer per se. It's just to get you thinking about it. And uh, I do have a resource that you can look into further. I, I'm, not, I'm not an astrophysicist, so me trying to put this in technical terms would not go well, but there are many creationists that are, uh, and, and one in particular, Jason Lyle, is very, uh, very intelligent when it comes to this and has written articles and done videos about this, but... Let's think about it this way, okay? So um, the sun, we said, is 93 million miles away. If light is traveling 186,000 miles per second, it takes eight minutes to get here. Well, the other stars are light years away, okay? So let me ask this question first of all. Um, and part of the, me posing this is people will say, well, if these stars are hundreds or millions of light years away, doesn't that suggest that the universe has to be at least... As far as this, because if that light's reached here from there, you know, it has to be that old, right? So let me ask, first of all, what is a light year? Does anyone know what a light year is? How would you define that? Okay, you got it, and, and you nailed it because many people say, well, it, it's a amount of time, right? But a light year is not an amount of time. It's kind of deceptive in that way because it has the word year in there. But you nailed it. It's the distance that light can travel in a year or that it travels if it's going 186,000 miles per second in the course of a year. So it's a distance, not a time. Okay, so I think that's important to understand. And so um, as we think about this, how, how is it that light from objects millions of light years away could reach here in a short period of time if the Earth's only you know, six to 10,000 years old if we take a young Earth view, okay? Um, when God created the sun, moon, and stars, remember, light was already in existence. So it is possible that that light is already in transit when God creates the sun, moon, and stars, okay? So that light wave is already reaching. Now he's plugging in a star or a, a, the sun, moon to be the source of that light or the object of that light, okay? So if we take that position, Henry Morris says, uh, it therefore did not take a billion years for the light from a star which is a billion light years distant from the earth to reach the earth after the star was created. The light trail from the star was created in transit, as it were, all the way from the star to the earth, three days before the star itself was created. As noted earlier, the universe was created full-grown from the beginning. God did not require millions of years to develop it into its intended usable form. Okay? So that's the possibility that God, just as he's creating, he's created light, then he's plugging in those stars, so the light is already in transit in that way. So that's one view that you could take, okay? But even if you say, well, I don't think the light was already in transit, there are a lot of assumptions that we make about the speed of light, okay? Um, we've really just come to assume 186,000 miles per second, that's just the speed of light, you know, that's, that's what it is, okay? But you, you have to think about how hard it is to accurately measure the speed of light, and I don't want to get too technical uh, with this, but Many times what we're doing when we measure the speed of light is we're bouncing it off an, of an object and timing it to come back, okay? But who's to say that the distance it 
goes is the same speed at which it returns, okay? That's, a, that's an assumption that we're making. Um, and so also when we think about uh, the outer reaches of space, we don't necessarily have to hold to the view that light travels at that same speed as it does here close by, okay? Um, Henry Moore says, The tremendous stellar distances commonly cited are obtained only on the basis of a number of very esoteric and questionable assumptions. Geometric methods for measuring such astronomical distances can only reach to about 330 light years. So any greater distance, distances are uncertain, to say the least. Furthermore, there is no assurance of the uniformity of the speed of light at such tremendous dis- distances. There exist respectable models of relativity and space curvature, for example, which yield light motions such that light would reach the Earth even from infinite distances in only a few years. So there's different models that people have come up with taking these things into account that demonstrate it doesn't take millions of years to get here, even if it wasn't created in transit, okay? So I'm not going to go much deeper than that because, like I said, I'm not an astrophysicist. It's fun to think through, and if you are curious to study this more, um, there's a a man, again, named Dr. Jason Lyle. He's an astrophysicist, uh, and he has written articles or done... Um, like talks at different churches and things or different places about distant starlight and time. So if you Google Jason Lyle, distant starlight and time, you can find these articles he's written or find these videos. And like I said, it's, it's, he tries to bring it down to an, a way that we can understand it, um, but it might still be somewhat over your head. But I encourage you to look into that, and it's, it's amazing to just think through uh, how he lays this out from a biblical viewpoint, okay? Any questions about that? Not that I can guarantee to answer them, just something to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt God can supernaturally do anything, right? And, and we don't want to discredit that, but we do want to try to... We, we don't want to just chalk up anything we don't understand to, well, God just did it, okay? You know, the fossils, God just put them there, and, you know, no, no. I think there's explanation. God does things um, with reason, right, with purpose. And, of course, he could have created things, um, you know, he could have created light going a lot faster till it gets to the solar system or something. But we want to try to understand the world that God's created and, and not discredit the supernatural, because if we do that, all of Scripture's out, right? We're not believing the re- resurrection. We're not believing uh, miracles, things like that. But we want to try to see how God's designed the world and how things function within that world, okay? But, yeah, absolutely, we don't put anything past him, but we're seeking to try to understand how he's done what he's done, okay? But, again, at the end of the day, we're, we're not going to land on a conclusion um, in our own finite minds, okay? All right, here's the next question. So we read this account. Uh, we're going to read a little bit more of creation, but there's no mention of it. So here's the question I want to ask. When were the planets created? We've talked about the sun, the moon, the stars, but what about Mercury and Venus and Mars and you know all the ones in our solar system? And then even outside of our solar system, there are planets that are revolving around stars and things like that. So when did God create these planets? They're not stars and they give light. They're either gaseous planets or they're solid, you know, rock, mineral planets. 
moons, things like that of other planets. When did God create those, you think? Huh? Okay, you think it's all part of this? Anybody think he's already done it before day four? Again, there's no mention of what we call planets. And you think about it in the ancient mind, in the ancient uh, world, unless they, you know, they might have had a lot of technology we weren't aware of prior to the flood because they were very intelligent and lived for hundreds of years. So they might have developed some kind of telescope. But it would be hard, and especially with the naked eye. We can't tell the difference between a star or a planet, really. Um, except, you know, we know usually planets aren't twinkling and stars more twinkle, right? Um, but I think when we look at the Hebrew word for stars mentioned here and the stars, it really, the root word has the idea of that which burns or that which blazes, okay? So I think it's easy to think that this in, in, in uh, encapsulates planets being created as well. Those things, these heavenly bodies that are giving light or that are shining, that are have the appearance of burning, okay? Um, so I think it's, yeah, to what Ryan said, I think here in day four it makes sense that God's creating uh, the, the moon, he's creating the sun, he's creating the stars, planets, he's creating our solar system, he's creating the galaxies, all those things here on day four, scattering the stars throughout the universe, putting them into order, um, putting our solar system into order the motions of of course we believe again the the earth's already rotating at this point but as the sun's there now you have a a year that can take place and you have that singular source that is now the marker for days okay so um i love this illustration about isaac newton um very brilliant scientist um so many countless things that he's discovered or or uh, done, and so it says the 17th century mathematician and philosopher Sir Isaac Newton had a mechanical replica of our solar system made in miniature. At its center was a large golden ball representing the sun, and revolving around it were smaller spheres attached at the ends of rods of varying lengths. They represented Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and the other planets. These were all geared together by cogs and belts to make them move around the sun in perfect harmony. So maybe you've seen a model like this before. Or, you know, science experiment as a kid, you put these in order. You probably didn't have all the mechanical things to make it work. But he has this moving with the way the solar system, planets in the solar system move. So he's got this cool device. And, uh, again, they're working in perfect harmony. One day, as Newton was studying the model, an unbelieving friend stopped by for a visit. Marveling at the device and watching as the scientists made the heavenly bodies move in their orbits... The man exclaimed, Mr. Newton, what an exquisite thing. Who made it for you? Without looking up, Sir Isaac replied, nobody. Nobody, his friend asked. That's right. I said, nobody. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together. And wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving in their set orbits and with perfect timing. Okay? His friend undoubtedly got the point, And uh, the existence of Newton's machine presupposed a maker and even more so the earth and its perfectly ordered solar system. So I love that illustration because we so often look at, uh, you know, if we, I know Ray Comfort said this before, we went outside and we saw ten leaves laid perfectly side by side, the same distance apart, you know, same position, all that laid out in a line. We would, our first question would be, who, who did that? Who put them in that order? Yet we look at the universe 
And we can look at the vastness of the universe, and even just in our solar system, we see the order at which God is operating. The sun and the moon and the stars are all working in perfect order. And we could even go down on the molecular level and look at our DNA and look at things like that that just demonstrate God's created order. And so we would never question looking at different things in life that there was a creator, that someone did that, someone ordered that. And yet, oftentimes, we'll look at creation and the order of creation, and so many people will say, oh, well, this just happened by chance. So uh, Isaac Newton said, the most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being, okay? And Romans 1 talks about that, right? We can look to creation, and God's attributes are clearly perceived since the beginning of creation, right? That he's orderly, that he's powerful. Um, We know that we could just, even if we're not starting with the scripture, if we look at the world, we know there's got to be an intelligent designer. There's got to be that unmoved mover, that uncaused cause. And scripture tells us who that is, okay? That it is God who's created everything, okay? So as we think about this, uh, again, we think about how this pushes back against the false view of the day of Egypt, of Mesopotamia, their view of, well, there's a sun god, there's a moon god. Throughout all this, we see, no, God is, there's one God, he's the creator of everything, okay? And so I want to read a couple verses that talk about just how, uh, you know, we talk about the purposes of the sun, moon, and stars, to give light, to separate night and day, to give signs, seasons, days, years, things like that. But ultimately, their purpose is to point us to Christ and to point us to God and to worship him. Um, Isaiah 40, 25 to 26 says, To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Look at the stars. And it says, He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So look at the magnitude of the stars. You know, it's been estimated there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth. Like, just go to the beach sometime and start digging, and each one of those is a star. And Scripture says he knows the name of everyone, right? You've got those star registries now where you can name a star after someone. They're already named. God knows the names of all of them, and not one of them is missing. Psalm 147, 4-5, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Again, a psalm of worship. Man, he knows the name of Everyone, he knows their position, he's put them, how amazing, how strong, how powerful he is. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalm 19, a a famous passage talking about how the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber And like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. So every day is a testimony of who God is, that he's created. Um, We don't wake up every day and wonder, man, did the sun come up today? Right? We, We take it for granted that God has set these things in motion, and that he's faithful to allow the sun to rise and fall each day. And then Psalm 8, 3 through 4. Uh, another psalm of David. He says, When I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man 
that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Ultimately, when we look at the magnitude of the universe, we consider just how big it is. And and even more so now as we can go out into space more and we can see just how large and how far things are. We realize, man, Earth is not even significant within our solar system. Our solar system is not significant within our galaxy. We're so insignificant on a universal level. What, what, are, what are we that God would be mindful of us? And yet we see through Scripture that God created us as a special planet, as special, a special creation created in His image. And this is the planet that God came to and lived upon and lived the perfect life and died for our sins to redeem us. And so... Um, all these things point us to even the gospel, right? That God would care enough for us, that he's powerful. He could just forget all about us, and yet he cares for us enough to send his son to die for us, okay? So ultimately, as we think through these things, it should lead us to reverential worship for who God is, his power, his creativity, his organization, things like that, okay? Any last thoughts? We've got some people in the lobby, so we need to wrap up. Any questions or thoughts? Okay, yeah, there are some passages, that, and we've touched on some that talk about it being a circuit or a circle, the, the circle of the earth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, right, yeah, and it talks about it being a circle, I think, an idea of a sphere. Um, and so, yeah, for, you know, of course, there are flat earthers today. But even through the ages, there are people that thought the earth was just flat and it was on pillars and all that. And really, Scripture has always demonstrated that it's a sphere, that it's floating there, um, that God hangs the earth, you know, in, in nothingness, I think is how it's framed in Scripture. So, yeah, that definitely seems to be, and, and a, again, with science, we can clearly observe this as well. Okay. All right, let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. God, we just uh, we thank you for your creation, that you've revealed it to us, that even as we make scientific um, discoveries and things that can help us to uh, look at your universe more, God, it just should leave us in an even greater sense of awe at, at how the magnitude of your creation. Um, and yet, God, as we think about this and marvel at how powerful, how orderly you are, uh, God, you care for us. You care for us even on the individual level. Um, we're not neglected, we're not overlooked by you. And so, God, we just pray that that would lead us today to worship you, uh, to glory in you, to proclaim you to others, and uh, just to live out our walk with you. And so, God, we thank you for this time in your word and pray that we would just continue to meditate upon it and worship you as we do so. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.